This is episode three in our four-part series on mental health. Last time, we heard from Dr. Melly on trauma. Today, our topic is family dynamics, boundaries, and empathy. Some of you were like, okay, no, I'm good. I've got boundaries. It's called, I never will speak to them again. And others of you missed what I said because your sister just walked in unannounced and asked to borrow money. Let me put you at ease. We all have problems. And this episode isn't meant to solve them all, but it just might help you turn a corner in your thinking. Welcome to the Impact of Leadership podcast, where we believe that no one drifts into excellence. I'm your host, Steve Shear, and today's episode brings family, work, and healthy limits all together. My guest today is Shelly Smith, co-founder of Good Human Work, a therapist-run and owned practice headquartered right here in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She has a team that stretches across the U.S., and Shelly approaches every colleague and client the same way, with empathy and purpose. You're going to hear that in this episode as we're discussing family and boundaries and work and how we can't do it all. And you know what? That's where we're going to start with Shelly giving us a working definition of empathy. On on your website, it says, we lead with empathy and provoke with purpose. So how do you define the word empathy? What does it look like, you know, feel like that kind of thing? Sure. Empathy is is a big topic. It's definitely one that's been more in the public sphere lately too, um, and showing up in places it never used to. So I'm glad that we're able to kind of clarify before we dive into anything. Um, so the way in which our field sort of looks at empathy and, and based on what emotion emotion researchers, it's a tricky line to say, emotion researchers uh, define empathy as like the ability to sense other people's emotions along with like imagining kind of what someone else might think or feel. So to give a a little bit more context to that, I often explain it as the bridge we mentally cross or emotionally cross in order to connect with other humans. So I think of it as we sort of walk across this little like mental emotional bridge into someone else's world. And imagine what it's like to be there. Imagine what it feels like to live there or to have those experiences. And similarly, we hope that that's reciprocated and they are crossing the bridge into our world as well to experience that, to look at it, to kind of feel it out. Because when we understand what someone else's world is like, it allows us to connect in a more meaningful way and to relate to people entirely differently. And so I guess that's kind of how how I explain it in terms of a definition, but I also, to go a little further, if that's okay, um, I I often, well, I can never really talk about empathy without also talking about vulnerability. They're really two parts of the same equation, right? So empathy and vulnerability work in conjunction with one another, and so we can't really have one without the other, and they are a the core of all human connection. So what I mean by that is that, you know, 
humans connect on an emotional level, whether we like to or not. That is how we interact with each other. And there can't be empathy unless someone has presented a little bit of vulnerability, or we wouldn't know. They would have a wall up that prevents us from going into their world, right? They have to let that down a little bit for us to be empathetic or vice versa. So there is no empathy without vulnerability, and there's no vulner and vulnerability can't really happen because it's not safe if there's not empathy. It's sort of, it's, it's interactional, but it's also transactional in some ways. And so we have to have these two pieces moving reciprocally between people in order to have healthy connection and healthy relationships. I love it. So safety is a prerequisite for vulnerability and vulnerability and empathy are hand in hand. You can't Absolutely. have one without the other. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So then vulnerability uh, you, you did a really great job with the empathy word. What, what does it look like? Um, vulnerability, you know, what, 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 is that just somebody just, I know it's not, but is it just somebody just telling it like it is just laying it all out there? Like I hate your sweater and your face. Wow. I was really vulnerable there. <laughs> no, there's still a, a social appropriateness and boundaries of play too. Right. <laughs> um, so vulnerability is if you're thinking about sort of a, any kind of this metaphorical bridge between people, right? We, if we're mentally imagining the bridge, we can easily put up a wall or or a gate or kind of whatever we decide to fashion to not allow people in, right? And we do that intentionally with some people. What we're really talking about there is boundaries, right? Strangers on the street, I have a pretty heavy wall, right? With my spouse, Uh, there is a wall, like we live in two different worlds, but we are also very connected and he can walk over and I encourage that and vice versa, right? So there's not as much of a wall. That's a much more vulnerable space to be in, to lower that wall or to lower that gate or however we want to reference that when we allow someone to come into our world just a little bit or we request that of them or ask them to do that. And so what that looks like depends on the nature of a relationship, right? We're not going to walk up to the stranger on the street and tell them uh, a vulnerable piece about us, some secret or some, you know, meaningful thing or how we even happen to be feeling that day, potentially, right? Those are all types of vulnerabilities that we share with people, but that's based on trust, right? Which is built in with that safety component that we, we touched on briefly. And so as we are talking about vulnerability, what we're really talking about is what is the nature of the relationship? do those boundaries look like? And then as I build relationships with people, I give a little more and a little more and a little more as we learn trust to trust each other, as we empathize with each other, as people respond well, then we build those relationships based on the pieces of vulnerability that we share. And it may be, I'm going to tell this person who is now maybe becoming a friend a little bit about my family or a little bit about some experience that I had at some point. I'm not necessarily going to dive into all of my childhood stories like I do with my therapist, right? That's a very different vulnerable and safe relationship. And so it it depends on a lot of factors, but vulnerability is when we just open up a little piece of our world or a little piece of ourselves to someone else who we hope will respond well, empathize, um, and then reciprocate as well. 
we're we're uh, we're hit, hitting on several things, and there's two major topics that I'd like to cover in the rest of our time together, and it all ties into what you were just saying. But within the context of of therapy, there's a couple things that I would love to hear you speak on. So um, the two topics I'm thinking of are, are family, which is huge, of course, but family, and then this whole idea of trying to do it all. I'd like to start with family. So if you if you wouldn't mind, talk to us a, a bit about family dynamics and the role therapy can play in family health. And you know, take that wherever you would like. I'm trying to leave it wide open for you. Okay. Yeah, that sounds good. And honestly, I may, as we're talking, end up kind of overlapping those two things that you mentioned too. So we'll just kind of see how that goes. Um, family dynamics, uh, I always chuckle when people... Um, ask about that or something, because I could talk for days about family dynamics. So um, because of my particular training, I'm trained in systemic therapy, which means systems and dynamics are kind of my thing. Um, so when we're talking about families in general, right, and that can be families, how ever anyone wants to define them, whether that is their biological family or family of origin, whether that's, um, you know, a partner or children or, you know, friends who they've developed into a surrogate family, you know, whatever people want that to look like. I mean, the reason we, we do that as humans, right, we create these social bonds with people who essentially we call family, and they provide a safe base for us to be in the world, it is the place that we can come back to for rest, for support, for connection, for validation, with the hope that they will be there in the ways that we need to and that we will be there for them in the ways that they need us to. But that essentially it provides us with protection and security and comfort and all the things that as humans we need to then launch into the world to do the other things we do in the world, which can sometimes be a, a complicated, scary, or insecure place, but we can always come back to this idea of family. Right? So that's kind of at the core. But then, of course, as we all know, families are incredibly complicated and messy. I often talk with people about just how messy families are, right? Because the dynamics are ever-changing, and we are ever-changing. And so there's constant adaptation that has to happen, right? The relationships within a family constellation um, just require attention. They require work. They require us to really be paying attention to the way others are shifting and changing and the way we are evolving and shifting and changing. And then there are external factors that kind of layer on top to affect all of that as well. And so we're having to deal with this very complicated sort of inner inner workings. We often think of it kind of like a spider web with all of these potential avenues and connections and ways that we connect, but really it's always evolving and changing as well, which is why it can be very confusing and it can be difficult to kind of navigate all of that. Um, it's possible, of course, but we often aren't primed with how to handle those or what even makes a for a healthy relationship, right? Or what? how do we handle long-term relationships and, and all of that changing that has to happen? Um, and so when family therapy, in particular couples therapy or even individual therapy, when we're still considering all of the relational connections and what's happening with 
individual when we're working in therapy. Um, and we spend a tremendous amount of time talking about the connections with other people and what those look like and, and working to shift dynamics, working to um, heal dynamics and, and constantly trying to do the active work of making it, it'll never be static. It'll never stay the same ever. It'll always be changing, but we can learn how to do that better in healthier ways to make it just easier on everyone and then have the potential to keep the family together, right? And and more content and more satisfied with each providing what they need and supporting the others in the way that they need. So maybe a silly question, but I haven't I haven't done it myself. So I'm following my curiosity here. For family therapy, do if there's an issue within a family, do, do, do like do you have to have everybody there in the same time to talk through this stuff? Like how, how does how do the pieces kind of okay okay? So so uh, as I'm sure. Sure, you know, talking to therapists is always fun because our answers um, typically revolve around it depends, maybe, sometimes, right? <laughs> you know, you don't get a lot of targeted certainties. Um, but really, family therapy can look a lot of different ways. It can absolutely be having everyone in the room right, at one time, and that can be sometimes incredibly useful and really important because everyone's voice can be heard and solutions can be developed and a therapist's job in that sense is to help mediate that conversation and help make sure that everyone is is being heard but also attending to things like power dynamics or attending to things that you know are, are complicate relational dynamics that's the, in the whole right and then uh, we also certainly in, in couples therapy, it looks a little bit different, right? When you have two people in a room and sometimes it may be family therapy with two people in the room, meaning it's just a parent and an adult child. We actually are doing that more and more and more. Um, and we have, you know, we have that relationship that we're really focusing and intending to, or it can be individual therapy that someone comes in and says, I am really struggling with this relationship in my life for these dynamics that are happening in my life and and we see what we can do to shift the system to you know recognize what each person's role including the person in the room right there's a little bit of challenging that typically happens around you know well what is your role in this right but then additionally how do we help shift the system without the other people in the room if that's even possible um it can get a little complicated but it therapist side, but it's absolutely possible to do. And it helps us also then develop empathy for the other people, right? Because as our job as therapists is to encourage at all times with any kind of relational work that we are paying attention to the other potential perspectives, right? So it's not just aligning with the one individual who happens to be in the room. Um, it's that and tending to, I wonder what's going on on the other side too. What's happening on the other side of the bridge in their world that's that's maybe, you know, you're picking up on or that's happening there. And so it's, um, it's really kind of tending to all of the different elements. And sometimes individual therapy turns into couple or family therapy in some constellation. Sometimes family or couple therapy ends up turning into individual therapy as well. If there's, you know, some things that just need to be worked on one-on-one. -on -one. So speaking of messy, uh, let's talk about boundaries. What are some common themes that come up in this area 
So the way I talk about boundaries, just because just clearly you've heard a little bit of it in this interview already, where I'm talking about this bridge with these sort of walls, right? Um, and, and I'm just going to think of them as walls right now, but I, I typically talk about them in the sense of like backyard fences. Um, and so I kind of divert a little from my, my bridge metaphor just briefly, but I talk about boundaries as fences because there are all kinds of ways to have backyard fences, right? Between my husband and I, there's a nice little picket fence, right? That delineates, you know, where I am, where my yard is and where his is, but there's a whole lot that's going over that fence and in between our yards, right? Um, whereas with the stranger on the street, I might have an eight or 10 foot brick wall between up my yard and theirs, right? And they don't know what's happening in mine and I don't know what's happening in theirs. And so when we talk about, and there's all kinds of versions of that in between, I go a little, little too far, maybe sometimes with my little metaphor about, you know, sometimes people throw trash in your yard and clearly that's a boundary issue that we need to discuss with them, right? Um, but what that looks like in reality, right? And then I turn it into, to maybe a metaphorical thing that allows us to picture it differently is to think about the times in which it feels like you are being taken advantage of, or when you feel like you can't say no to someone, or when it feels like you're really overworked and exhausted, or that doing it all that you mentioned, right? Those are some internal boundary crossings that are happening. So when we talk about boundaries, it can be with family members, it can be with colleagues or coworkers, it can be with you know, strangers, but it can also be internal boundaries with ourselves, right? I may be crossing my own personal boundary in not taking care of myself when I'm working a 12 or 14 hour obscenely long day and not tending to myself in the ways I need to. I have crossed a boundary and, and not protected myself in the way that I need to. Okay, so um, how do we then set healthy boundaries without losing relationships? Because what I'm hearing is that boundaries are necessary like fences, uh, varying heights, different materials, things like that with the analogy. But you know, how do we set those and not completely disrupt family and friends and, and things like that? That's a great, great question because boundaries, like you said, are essential, right? They do a lot of really healthy work to protect us and others, but to make sure that we don't lose ourselves, right? Um, that we're not completely merged in some way that's unhealthy with another human, but we know where we start, where they start and we end and, and those sorts of things. Um, but part of the struggle is that we, we grow up in whatever sort of situate relational situation that we grow up in, um, whether that's a family or whatever that happens to look like for people, and we are intuitively taught how boundaries are based on the people we interact with and the relationships we have. Those early attachments kind of shape our understanding of, of boundaries, sometimes in healthy ways, but unfortunately, more often than not, in not so great ways, uh, because boundaries are something that people don't typically think about a whole lot. And so it may be that the messages that we've gotten are that boundaries just don't exist, right? That people can just ask whatever they want to ask of you and you need to oblige or that there's really rigid boundaries that, you know, we don't share our feelings or we're allowed to be angry, happy, fine, but that's it, right? Or, you know, just different ways that people put put 
really high walls between them and, and others. And so um, we end up with some weird messaging around that. And then we end up developing relationships and we develop romantic relationships and friendships and, and coworkers, colleagues, neighbors, all sorts of different relationships without really cleanly thinking through what we want out of those or what those boundaries look like. And it's not that we need to hyper attend to them, but we need to at least be aware and pay attention because often we end up feeling upset with someone um, or even in, in worst cases, getting resentful of people and often that's a boundary issue that they've been crossing our boundaries and we've ended up over time growing some resentment and frustration and dislike for a person when really we just didn't let them know what the boundaries were or have bound healthy boundaries there in the first place. And so when we start to shift boundaries between ourselves and other people, if we've had a relationship with them and the, it's been a very low boundary it can be incredibly difficult at first to try to build that fence up higher. Um, people tend to not like that very much if they've been allowed to like just hop into my backyard and, you know, walk around and pick some flowers all along. And I'm like, but I don't want you picking my flowers. I never said yes to that, right? That's my garden. Why? He, I never said yes. You never even asked, right? And once or twice, not a big deal. I let it go. But then over time, eventually I start to get frustrated or resentful or like, hey, quit picking my flowers. What's going on, right? And so then we end up, wanting to build a bigger fence, right? And whether that, and we can do that by like screaming and yelling at them and telling them not to come in and pick my flowers. We can do that through, you know, a reasonable conversation around like, hey, by the way, this is my yard, right? Like, I don't mind, but why don't you ask first? Um, and, or we can do that by just building a big wall and they, you know, intuitively figure it out because they can no longer get in. You know. um, and so it can ruffle people's feathers, particularly the closer the relationship is, right? If it's a longstanding relationship with a family member and we're needing to build a bigger wall because they've, it's not been healthy for us and we need to do a little bit more of, protecting ourselves or taking care of ourselves and not constantly letting them in uh, or do whatever they do, then it can definitely cause friction um, and can cause a lot of tension. And so we need to really know that, pay attention to that, not a reason not to have a higher boundary. But go, there are ways that we can go about that that can be a little easier depending on the person or that we can talk about it in a safer or healthier way. And, and honestly, those are some of the conversations we often are having in therapy. Um, and it's also true that for some people, they just naturally put up huge walls and bringing those down is, is tricky, right? Because it, it means that we have to be a little more vulnerable. And that's where some of that vulnerability and empathy and trust work comes in. Um, and if we're, we're not taught early to do that, it can be a really scary thing. And so there's some emotional work in there that can be done. And there are some ways that we can gently start to do that a little bit in relationships that feel a little safer and, and work toward the health of relationship and that connection that we're really looking for without just like knocking down half the wall right away. Right? We can do it in stages or steps. Yeah. So Particularly uh, now, when when this uh, episode is going to be released, I, I think if you wouldn't mind uh, counseling us a little bit about the as we approach the holiday season, um, how should we 
view approach step into this holiday stretch if we're you know less than excited about some of the people that we're going to be spending time with absolutely i think the holidays every year can be such a stressful time because of those dynamics because of some of the things we're talking about and thinking through boundaries around this is incredibly important. It can be really helpful. Um, but I think even taking that a step further beyond to just, just kind of a boundary conversation is really allowing yourself the space to be human and allowing that to be okay, because it's actually fairly common to not get excited about the holidays. It can be pretty normal to want to be alone during some of that time, right? Because it's so overwhelming what sometimes we traditionally do through the holidays with all of the people and all of the traditions and all of the things, right? And that can be exciting and we, we might want some of that, but we also might not want all of that, right? And if there are family expectations and obligations or if there are people who just we don't mesh with terribly well and we would prefer to have a little bit more of a boundary with, um, but there's an expectation that we will spend time or see them or, or whatever it happens to be. That can be incredibly frustrating. And so um, again, something that we end up talking about frequently in our field with people to really pay attention to listen to yourself, listen to your emotions, listen to your body and what you actually need. Also recognize that yes, there may be some family traditions that you're expected to participate in that that you may have to see someone that is uh, less than desirable that you're really hoping to avoid, but there may be ways to put some natural little boundaries around that instead of, you know, feeling obligated to spend eight hours in that setting. Is it possible to be there for only two or three, right? And are there some natural boundaries that can be put in place there to allow for that? Are there ways to, to kind of emotionally and mentally prepare yourself so that when you do go into that situation with someone, if a particular conversation that you're wanting to avoid comes up, that you can say something that is respectful and kind, but also a firm boundary that you don't end up getting into conversations you don't want to. Um, So there's a lot of of paying attention to yourself and allowing yourself to be human in that and knowing that it's okay. To, to not be excited about the holidays. There's sort of an expectation that we need to be or that we have to love all of the things when that's not that's not really normal. Most people don't. Yeah, I appreciate you. Um, there were a couple of things I was hearing and you, you said it right there, just giving permission for things that seem like I should be just all in about the sleigh bells and everything else. I'm not too pumped. Uh, allowing that to be worked through, but then also being intentional that we're paying attention to how we're feeling about that thing so that we can address it mentally, I guess, a little bit before we step into the the situation and then blow up. The second topic that I had, um, doing it all, really want to hear you talk about this as well, because I, I think these things tie together. What happens to those of us who try to go 100%, 100% of the time? Well, the reality is we can't go 100%, 100% of the time. Mm -hmm. Right. We are human. And I think that we sometimes try to pretend that we're not. Um, And we also forget that there are different parts to us that we need to be tending to. So in going 100 percent, 100 percent of the time, 
we are not going 100% in all the places in our life. It's not Mm -hmm. possible, right? While I might be trying to go all in 100% at work and at home, there's a good chance that I'm then neglecting maybe some friendships or I'm neglecting um, my workouts or I'm not paying attention to what I'm eating during the day or how much caffeine I'm putting in my body, right? There, There are always things that are going to fail us when we try to do 100% across the board, right? So we end up neglecting different parts of ourselves or different parts of our basic human needs. We often talk about kind of these five core needs. Um, and and these, these five are restore, protect, which is um, some of the boundary stuff we've talked about falls in there, right? Nourish, um, which isn't just like eating, um, but it's also the empathy and vulnerability piece that we've been talking about, our connection to other humans, um, explore and evolve, right? And so restore is really about kind of having that secure base, that trust, that rest, that grounding, protect is like the connection and, and the boundaries and those things. Nourish is really the empathy and vulnerability and connections, explore is where we like learn and achieve and listen to our body but also um, it fixes our restlessness right like me actively scaling a company is really exciting and it's a way that I explore and I I learn and I grow and I'm challenged right and it's great Um, and then evolve is is what gets us unstuck. It's where we make shifts and movement and change, right? And so we often think of these five as kind of the core. And so when I'm leaning heavily into nourishing myself with my relationships and, and restoring myself and building up the trust and the secure base and that sort of thing, sometimes I'm not doing the internal work that comes with evolve, or I'm not like challenging myself to learn new things and, and to try new things and to explore. And if I'm leaning too heavily in there, I may not be tending to all of my boundaries or I not, may not be restoring myself in, the, in all the ways that I need to. And so it's, it's very common that we end up kind of trying to go all in. And then at some point down the road or along the way, we pause and we go, oh, crud, I completely forgot about fill in the blank, right? Or I haven't been paying attention to this thing. And that's where we end up realizing that like we're potentially getting burned out. I mean, the things that come from us going all in all the time, right? Traditionally, we talk about that as burnout more than anything else. Those of us that are driven a lot of people, most people that listen to this podcast are folks that are, uh, they either lead a business or they're leading a nonprofit or they're some sort they're, they're leading some aspect of their life. It doesn't necessarily have to be the, the business owners, but, um, what I'm hearing is, and I'm guilty of this is we lie to ourselves that we can do it all. Um, so, so you were very, you were very kind, but I'm, I'm hearing that. And so practically then what, what should we do as leaders to keep sane, to keep that, you know, to, to keep from burning out? Yeah. Well, what should we do? Uh, I actually get get asked that question quite a lot, um, and you know my very therapist, us. My, know, right? us. <laughs> my very therapist answer, Steve, is that staying sane looks different for everyone, right? Like that is the most essential therapist answer I could give. Um, but uh, I thought 
you know, as I answer this question, I mean, attending to those core needs is pretty fundamental. But at the end of the day, the way in which we do that is by being aware of what's actually going on with ourselves in a present moment. But one of the ways that I sometimes explain this is that I spend an insane amount of time staring at my laptop, right? Because all of my therapists and contractors live in a very different place than I do, right? And so they're all virtual. And so I'm interacting with them typically from my computer screen, right? And at some point during the day, if I'm not paying attention, right, if I'm not aware of what's really going on, I realize that my my mind is completely disconnected from my body, right? So I'm basically like a floating head, right? I'm, I'm like in this computer screen, I'm in this online world, I'm, I'm interacting and I'm running this whole business from this screen, right? But it turns out that if I pause and I look out the window or I look around in a moment and I go, whoa, there's a whole world around me that I haven't paid attention to in six hours, right? I mean, we can very easily get in this place where we have kind of blinders on or where we're disconnected from ourself. Um, and that's how we also, on a, a larger scale, when we're trying to do it all or we're incredibly busy and you know, lying to ourselves, like you mentioned, that we end up just getting to a point where we are doing too much and we're really disconnected from what we need. So attending to those core needs is is how we do this. And that can show up very differently, right? I personally may need to go for a run or be outside. Um, my business partner may want to just go play Legos with her daughter for a little while, right? Um, and we, we all kind of find different strategies, different ways of coping, right? big fan of coffee and tea. That's how I get through a Wisconsin winter. Right? It's with me all the time. And yet at the same time, I need to recognize and make sure that I'm doing decaf most of the time and not caffeine or my team is suddenly like, whoa, Shelly's intense. What got into her today? Right? Yeah. And, and it's because it, it really comes down to like, what are we tending to? We can't tend to all the things, but the more mindful we are in any moment, the more we can actually pay attention to the things that are, that are needed at that point. So this is, uh, I, I forgot to mention before, I love your website. I would encourage the people that are listening and that we'll, we'll leave it in the show notes as well, a link, but the feel of your website, the way that it works, the, 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 the human aspect, and then those elements that you laid out, the restore, protect, nourish, explore, and evolve. Um, I was writing them down and I'm sure they're on your website, but they are. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it, I would encourage people to go there because it has that same feel as, as this conversation of very human, very approachable, but also like of, of calm. And um, yeah. So anyway, I wanted to say that while we were recording, cause it, it's great. It really is um, user user friendly for sure. So this, this conversation has been very, very helpful. I know there's a lot more that we could get into. Um, and I thank you again for um, being with us. And, and as we begin to close the, the conversation out, um, what would you like to leave our listeners with? I think all of what we've been discussing today for me is summarized in the idea that we need to allow ourselves the space to be human, right? Um, because in order to be vulnerable and empathetic, that allows our humanness to really come out and connect with others, right? Tending to our relationships and boundaries and all of that is recognizing that we're, we're human, we're fallible, and so are other people. We also need connection, but we also need protection, right? I mean, it's really about holding 
side by side, the ability that we can be strong and resilient and and go-getters and doing all the things and, and building all the things. And we can be calm and we can be caring for ourselves and others and we can be emotional and we can be and we can be these things side by side right being being more human is often what's really needed um and it can be hard to allow ourselves to do that but it's really what makes the biggest difference in the end thank you so much Again, uh, for being here, please check the show notes. For those of you that are listening in, please check the show notes because you're going to want to engage uh, with Shelly and with her team. And, and uh, probably the best way would be through the website or, or through LinkedIn there. So we'll put that those links in the show notes. So thanks again, Shelly. And uh, I hope you have an awesome rest of the day. Fantastic. Thanks so much, Steve. I really enjoyed it. Okay, so takeaway and action item. I've got one takeaway, two action items. Takeaway, empathy is the bridge we cross to be in someone else's world. Truth leads to safety, which can lead to vulnerability, and vulnerability is a needed ingredient for empathy. Trust, vulnerability, empathy. Action items. Number one, take stock of where you need boundaries. Now this could be with people, or it could be something like your work home life is just bleeding together. And also, I think it's wise if you take stock of where you've been guilty of just ignoring someone else's boundaries along the way. Number two, get therapy. It's not weakness to get help. Next time, the conversation is around ADHD and how it affects our personal and professional lives. I promise you'll feel like our guest is describing someone you know, or she might be describing you. If you thought of somebody during this episode and it's appropriate to do so, please send them this episode and and also give them a note of encouragement on why you thought of them. Now we have dozens of other episodes that will aid in your growth as a leader Follow or subscribe in whatever platform you're using. You'll have access to all of them. I can't wait to be with you again soon. But until then, from all of us here at The Impact of Leadership, thanks for listening.